It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, over there, touchdown. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now, here's your host, Brett Rump. The Sunny and 50 in the Summit City. Just after 5 o'clock, as you're taking a ride home, be sure you lock it in right here at 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM, as I've broken into my 1980s DJ voice. Uh, Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah that, that'll have to end quickly. Uh, welcome to our hour number two of your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Brett Rump with Adam Lundy, and we've got you connected on the Parfee Sports Medicine text line at 46862. Coming up tonight, I'll be jumping over to the Coliseum, Mastodon's take on Milwaukee. This is the first of two meetings still on the schedule between the Mastodon's and the Milwaukee Panthers, even though the Dons are halfway through their Horizon League schedule. They've already played Northern Kentucky twice, but haven't played Milwaukee once. So tonight we get the first meeting between Milwaukee and the Mastodon's at the Coliseum starting at 7 o'clock. Plenty of tickets available. It is a Dons blizzard. Blizzard of Dons tonight as part of the homecoming celebration. That means white T-shirts being passed out to the student section. And you should wear your white tonight. And so look at me. Here I am wearing all black. I apparently missed the memo. Didn't <laughs> didn't have it hanging in my closet when I grabbed what I was going to wear. But uh, we've got your coverage for Mastodon's basketball against Milwaukee right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM, starting with the pregame show at 645 uh, by the way, this is absolute proof that the Taylor Swift effect is 100% real. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's now hitting Madison Avenue because uh, the advertising that's going to be done for the Super Bowl last year, there were no women's health and beauty products that were advertised during the Super Bowl. This year, there are at least two that have bought the pricey space within the game coverage on CBS of Super Bowl 58. Uh, now, they're, they're actually, what's expected, they're going to be three eventually uh, that we'll be buying. Two of them are new to the big game. The third is returning after a long hiatus. More brands could still enter the mix by February 11th since there are still some advertisers who are uh, keeping their plans a surprise but again, there were zero national in-game ads for health and beauty brands last year. And what uh, people are surmising is that this is because of Taylor Swift's relationship with Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey and the fact that she has brought more females to watch NFL football this year. And there will be women watching because of the Taylor Swift effect. L'Oreal is one of them that's going to be featured. Also, uh... I don't know if it's Elf Cosmetics, it's E period, L period, F period. 
It looks like Elf. It could be ELF. I don't know. Uh, not a product that I usually go in looking for, <laughs> but they'll be making their first national Super Bowl commercial, and they're going to put it together with a star-studded spot that features Megan Trainer, Gina Torres, uh, and others, according to Adweek magazine. I want to know what the odds are on Taylor Swift actually appearing, being in an ad. Appearing in a commercial? Yeah, I want to now, see the odds on that. she did... Capital One commercials, correct? I believe so, or or some. I think she had a tie-in with Capital One on her tour. Some credit card, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, and uh, and so I don't know if Capital One is going to buy time, but Dove is the other one. Yeah, it is a. It's part of the uh, hashtag Keeper Confident commercial campaign. That promotes body confidence in girls to keep them playing the sports they love, according to the personal care brand. So there you go. Definitely it, uh, more female audience watching this the year. More benefits. There's more ad revenue being generated because of the Taylor Swift effect. I mean, it's not a bad thing for the NFL. It's worked out pretty well. And I think now NFL fans are starting to accept it. I, th- I think there was some resistance uh, that... You know, why give her extra publicity when they, you know, first dated? But uh, this seems like a genuine couple that that is getting buy-in from the public. Uh, also, uh, the news today, you mentioned it in the sports update, that the final NFL team looking for a head coach has hired a head coach. And it's Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator from the Cowboys, going to the Washington Commanders, where he will replace Ron Rivera, who was fired I do not get this hire at all. None. It's not like Dan Quinn has something that Bill Belichick doesn't. I'm like, if you're going to go for a more defensive-minded coach, I would go with the guy that's wearing six rings on, on five fingers rather than the guy that has just kind of flopped in the playoffs in his time at Dallas. I don't think that... Dan Quinn has a resume that would put him above Bill Belichick. Now, and you know, I I am not a guy that supports Bill Belichick as a hire for the next coaching position. I said I didn't think anyone would hire him. But I also didn't think anybody would stoop low enough to hire Dan Quinn. I, I You had a defensive coach in Ron Rivera. 90% of the time, teams that have been uh, stuck in mediocrity under a defensive coach, will go offensive. There is plenty of reasons for Washington to want a very strong offensive mind, someone who's got experience working with successful quarterbacks in a successful system, because Washington is probably going to end up with one of the top quarterbacks out of this year's draft, and now you've got a defensive coach as your head coach. The most important hire Dan Quinn has ever made in his life. It's probably for Washington even the most important hire. Now that you've chosen a head coach who's got defensive experience, is who is going to be the offensive coordinator in Washington? Who's going to have that project working with a rookie quarterback? And if I'm a rookie quarterback, knowing that they took Dan Quinn as a head coach, do I even want to go to Washington? Uh, that's a good question. Now, I, I mean, it, it's hard to back out and not, you know, not go. But sure, it, it just I just don't think they made the right choice. 
Last night, Purdue gets a uh, overtime victory against Northwestern. And again, uh, I think Purdue is struggling to figure out how to stop elite guards. Last night, and I didn't say this on the show, and I kept thinking it, and I thought, I, and I, even driving uh, as I left last night, I thought, you know, I never got a chance to mention that Ty Berry was kind of my X factor for the game last night because. Having seen Ty Berry play in person and then watching him on TV, he's one of those guys that could disappear for an entire game that you didn't even know he played. And then he's a guy that when he gets hot and he gets going, he could torch you for 20-some points like he did last night. And uh, he's always very streaky. But when he's on, he is going to launch and he's going to be streaky and probably hit. And that's what happened. Purdue allowed him to get going last night. He ended up with 25 points. Boo Booey. Had another 25, so two good guards for Northwestern combined for 50 points against Purdue last night. And then that doesn't even count the other guards they've got in their lineup because they've got others. A Brooks Barnheiser, it's hard to call him a a forward. He's like 6'5", um, but uh, he's kind of the fourth guard that plays for Northwestern. He ended up going six for nine from the field. He was two for three at the free throw line. He added 14 points. And Ryan Langborg ended up with 12 points. So every guard for Northwestern last night, their four guards that start all went double figures and combined for 76 points. And, uh, you know, and that's like, okay, somebody's got to explain this to me. Because first of all, Zach Eady needs to be a rim protector, and I don't think he's been great as being a rim protector. There's a lot of balls that he seems to be a step slow getting there for the help, and uh, just he seems to be a little slow in getting off the feet and off the ground. Guys are driving and getting the ball up off the glass before Zach Eady really reaches the peak of his his jump trying to help and, and be a rim protector. Uh, you look at the numbers, Edie will have four or five blocks in some games, but a lot of those blocks are against his man. Uh, you know, but so you have to look at how many blocks is he really getting when guards are beaten on penetration or when, you know, somebody needs that help defense to step up and take away a 10, 12 foot floater. Is Zach Edie quick enough to get there, get in the air and take away a floater? Because that's a specialty of Boo Booey. I mean, he's able to put up that floater. He's able to push shots high off the glass. He's able to hit the mid-range, so he never actually has to attack an opposing center. He can pull up at the at the uh, elbow. Boo Booey put on a show last night, 25 points. But fortunately, out of the uh, uh, 9 for 19, the shot he missed was maybe the biggest miss of the night last night when he had a chance to win it in regulation for Northwestern on the final possession. But he got 25 points, 8 assists. And uh, and then you look at uh, Purdue side, Braden Smith didn't shoot much, 3 for 7, 0 for 2 from distance, was 5 for 8 from the line. Of course, Purdue as a team missed 17 free throws last night. Now, the good side is they got 46 of them. <laughs> the other side of that is Northwestern only shot 8. But uh, Braden Smith, 16 assists last night. And I, I, I thought I saw something. It's the biggest total since, uh, what, like 15 years, maybe in the Big Ten. I'm not sure if it's Big Ten or if it's nationally, but I saw somebody post something about the best, the, the highest total of assists, 16 assists last night uh, in, in, in like 15 years. But, um, yeah, so Braden Smith was, uh, was really, really good. Chris Collins, obviously, not too pleased at the end of the game. He runs out on the court, 
and and Purdue's trying to dribble out the clock. And in the in the picture, you see Chris Collins, the coach of Northwestern, on the court face to face with one of the uh, the officials who happened to be Courtney Green, the only official of the three that was kind of a regular Big Ten official, especially in prior seasons. Uh, but but he is hot. He is hot, and he has given it to him. Ends up getting two technicals, had to be uh, intercepted by one of his own players, which happened to be the uh, Lafayette product, Brooks Barnheiser, who was playing in his hometown. And um, and so Chris Collins was not too pleased during the game, and then after the game, he uh, had this to say about the foul discrepancy. Um, I just don't know if I've ever seen uh, a box court like that, honestly. I've been, you know, you guys, I don't know, you guys have been doing this too. A lot of you guys have been covering. I don't know if you've ever seen a disparity like that in a Big Ten game, um, which is like Purdue. Obviously, we are fouling that much. I mean, I, I feel like we're aggressive, though, too. You know, I felt like, I mean, Boo Booey doesn't shoot a free throw in the game. That's it's kind of crazy, um, but... That's how the game's called. I mean, that's it's and you gotta live with it. I mean, that's why that's why I was so proud of my guys. I mean, you're down 50 at the free throw line and you take you have a shot at the buzzer. So I mean, you almost have to play perfect, you know. And so our guys showed a lot of poise. Obviously, this is a not many people come in here and win, and there's a reason for that because they have great teams and this crowd is awesome and such a fun environment to play in and. You know, we just disappointing because, um, you know, we had our chances. We just couldn't close the deal. You know, last year on this program, I told you about FAU. I was the one that got you the uh, the heads up that there's a team down in Florida, Florida Atlantic, that's really, really good. Get an eye on them and maybe even take them on your brackets. Well, I got another team now that I'm high on, and they're right here in the state of Indiana. Indiana State, how about those trees? The Sycamores went on the road, beat Belmont last night. They remain in first place the Missouri Valley Conference Man, they're good, and they can hit threes. Uh, they were down 28-10 to 10 last night on the road at Belmont, which is a good program. Eight minutes into the game, they come back. They end up beating Belmont. So I asked the question, is, is, are we seeing the Sycamores as this year's FAU? Ooh, I like now, it. We don't really have a sound effect for trees, though, do we? It's, mm, trees, you know, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the woods. We and... had the owl last year. <laughs> oh, we really yeah. don't have a sound effect. Yeah, we don't have a sound effect for a sycamore. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Indiana State, pretty impressive. All right, we got to get to a break. Tim Tassler standing by. He's going to join us next, Fort Wayne baseball historian, to talk about history of the Negro Leagues here in Fort Wayne. And he's got a special presentation coming up Sunday. We'll get all the details next on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy. And, of course, uh, questions, comments, or suggestions, we're always taking them on our Perfect Sports Medicine text line at 46862. That's 46862. So coming up, we've got Duke lined up in about 10 minutes. We'll talk to Eric Dute, Dutkevich from Parkview Sports Medicine about high school basketball, girls sectionals. We now have all the semifinals set for tomorrow night, and we'll tell you where we will be and talk about championship Saturday coming up with Eric Dute, Dutkevich just minutes away. Well, right now, uh, an, uh, an, well, I don't want to say an old friend. A friend is joining the show. You know, I'll tell you what. Tim Tassler, who's a baseball historian here in this community, and he comes up with information. If you're any kind of a baseball fan at all, or if you're a history buff, 
he comes up with some great baseball trivia type answers. I mean, they, they create their own questions. And I thought, you know, he's going to be doing a presentation coming up uh, on Sunday. And I thought this would be a perfect time to talk a little baseball history, especially when it comes to Fort Wayne. And, and like I said, he and I go back long time. Used to play baseball together. Uh, Tim Tassler, welcome to the program. Brett, always a pleasure to join you on your show. I and, appreciate it. And, and I, I don't know if you want to feel old on this Thursday. It's such a beautiful day, but I'm going to take a moment uh, to make both of us feel old because I was thinking about this back when uh, you and I were together in men's senior baseball. So, uh, so you know, I was playing men's senior baseball league, not just the regular summer league, not the adult league. No, the senior baseball league. Do you know? I was with you in the dugout on those summer Sunday afternoons. Adam Lundy, my producer, wasn't even born yet. Yikes. That's scary. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I guess Adam never came out to watch us play. Uh, no. I, I, unbelievable. That, uh, that, was I started, a few, that was a few pains ago. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, for some, some of the guys we had in that dugout, it was a few surgeries ago. And and the funny thing was the guys with the most surgeries are the ones that still play. Um, exactly. Yep. <laughs> but, Not uh, fair. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I got out at the right time. I mean, I, I I had my ball and it was time to step aside, but uh, a lot of fun. But, of course, your interest in baseball goes far beyond just playing summer baseball. Uh, it goes into a lot of the history of baseball. And uh, how did you get... Was there a certain event that you looked up or you wanted to get more information about? How did you start becoming, I think, almost our official baseball historian here in Fort Wayne? Well, I started with who used to be the official historian of Fort Wayne baseball, and that was Bob Parker. Huh. Yeah. I was very close with Bob. Bob was actually in my wedding when I was married, and uh, we were we were very close uh, for a probably 20 years, I think. He introduced me to baseball. I told him I was a fan. I wasn't near the fan of what I am now and what I was. As I learned from him and then as the Fort Wayne history kind of expanded, I just got enthralled with it and want to know more and want to know more. Uh, and, and Fort Wayne does have a significant role in the history of baseball. Yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, it, it goes back to the late 1800s to the first uh, professional game that was played here. Uh, it also includes the first lighted game, having one professional team that played, uh, and, it, and it goes from there. And, and the research that I've done here recently, uh, this history is as strong, if, as, strong as what we've, we've known so far. Well, and that's what we want to talk to you a little bit about. I think uh, what you're alluding to is the history of black baseball here in the city, the Negro Leagues. And, of course, you know, we're talking about years of, of segregation and the fact that many people, I think, that live today in Fort Wayne, Adam's probably one of them, wasn't even born till nearly the turn of the century, but probably doesn't realize, number one, may not even know about Negro Leagues, Number two, might not realize Fort Wayne has a connection. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, my, uh, my research started about uh, 13, 14 years ago when I joined the local Sabre uh, group that was uh, had a chapter here in Fort Wayne. Sabre stands for the Society of American Baseball Research. And this was around the time that Parkview Field opened. And 
as I got to know the guys in this group, I one one meeting I walked in and I said, "Hey, how accurate is that sign at Parkview Field?" And they all kind of looked at me and they had no clue. And <laughs> so that was where my research started. I figured, well, I've got two two different years that they're given on the sign, nineteen twenty to nineteen twenty nine. So I got a place to start. Hmm. And what'd so you that, find out? So that research has grown from uh, going from 1920 to 1929, and 15 binders of clips and articles later, that span is now 1885 to 1960. Wow. Wow. How, uh, how challenging was it to find things? I mean, it, it, you know, it's interesting when you think about what will the future be like? Will it be easier or more difficult to look up information like this when it gets to you know, the year 2120 or something, and they're trying to find out how did the people back in our day live? Uh, what was it like for you? Was it was it accessible once you started actually putting the time into finding it? It was accessible in some areas, uh, you know, as newspapers.coms, those type of archives are available online. Makes it a little easier. Uh, there's access to... Uh, a lot more newspapers than there was. The problem with the Fort Wayne newspaper, those websites only go to 1923. So any of anything after 1923, you have to physically go to the library and start digging. And for that's where my time has been spent mostly on the weekends, some evenings, and just going in there and starting and mm. just digging for articles that mention uh, anything about what I was looking for. And then I kind of expanded from there. And now, uh, coming up on Sunday, you've got a special presentation, and I assume this is open for anyone in the public. Tell us a little bit about what's coming up on Sunday. Yeah, the, uh, the Fort Wayne History Center has graciously allowed me to uh, present my presentation of black baseball in the Summit City. Um, you're going to find information that has never been uh, known before. Um, you'll learn a lot. It's free to the public. It begins at uh, 2 p.m., and it lasts for an hour, and and uh, hopefully people will come out and take a look and see uh, see some things that they didn't know that actually happened. Well, I know in your teaser that uh, there might be information, might even be information about a championship game that was in Fort Wayne. Is is that a good tease to leave people on the edge? That's of a, that's a very good tease, and yeah. unfortunately, with the second time that was going to happen, the rain kind of got in the way of ah. uh, of the second time we were to hold that. But uh, we'll talk about that as well. Well, uh, that comes up two o'clock now. Do you do you need advance tickets? Do you just show up at the history center? What's the routine here, Tim? Just go to go to the History Center and and uh, ask them for where the presentation is going to be located. It sounds great. Always uh, enjoy the work that you do, and I appreciate you taking some time to jump on the Sports Rush. I appreciate it, Brett, always. That is Tim Tassler, baseball historian. And once again, that presentation is coming up on Sunday from 2 to 3 p.m. at the History Center, presented by Tim Tassler. Just go to the History Center and say, where's Tass? <laughs> and uh, they'll get you set up. Uh, all right, so we got to take a quick time out. we got to come back. We've got the incredible Eric Dute, Dutkevich. Talk about a guy who does some research on a weekly basis. This guy is digging up all the background stats, analytics, telling us who's going to win, who's going to lose, who's the best that week in the area. We've got a girls and boys power poll. Now, I think... I think this has to be the last girls' power poll because I don't know if we'll have five teams left next week.
I guess we would. We've got five area sectionals. I'd have to go a little out of the area to pull one, but I think we'll do this will be the official final girls uh, power pull of the season. But Eric Dutukevich, he's ready to talk sectionals, uh, the final run, the stretch run to the end of the boys season and uh, your boys and girls power polls all coming up. With Eric Dutkevich, that is next right here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy. And joining us right now on our guest line, as he does each and every week from Parkview Sports Medicine, it is the incomparable Eric Dute Dutkevich. Dute, good afternoon. Good afternoon, indeed. A beautiful day out. I actually busted out the short sleeves today oh. because I was like, we're up into the upper 40s. You know, I, it actually now, according to my my weather app, it did hit 50. So I, I okay, I had don't want to you know don't want to exaggerate anything. Uh, <laughs> well, then shorts when I get home, I suppose. But it's interesting. It's <laughs> I, I I thought isn't it interesting? On February 1st, we see sunshine because I think that completed the month of January officially with zero sunshine. I mean, I, yeah. I, we went through the entire month and all we had were clouds. So yeah, uh, and no snow during the sectional week here for the girls. <laughs> oh, good. Knock on wood. Uh, what's the forecast? <laughs> that would be really something. What's the forecast for Saturday? We've got to drive to Columbia City. Uh, all right. So, uh, dude. Oh, by the way, did you hear about the uh, the press release? Apparently, thousands of people reported a UFO in the sky this morning. Uh, I had not heard that. Uh, yeah. Apparently, uh, there were uh, people concerned finding a yellowish orange. Uh, orb that was floating in the city over Fort Wayne. They were very concerned about it. They said that it did not have much motion. It was silent and that it seemed to be em- emitting its own heat. And uh, so far, officials are still trying to determine exactly <laughs> what it might have been. Anything can happen in Fort Wayne. That is, that is true. I, I, think, I think they determined, yes, that's the sun. Uh, so anyway, dude, let's, uh, let's get to, uh, what we've got going on with high school basketball. Of course, we're getting into really the, the, the final stretch for the boys trying to get to the end of the, end of the season here at the end of the month. But for the girls, it is sectional play. And already we know what the semifinal matchups are going to be. Uh, before we get too deep into sectionals, I want to make sure we get the final top five for girls basketball out of the way okay you've got a top five for me for girls this week oh boy oh we're only doing see we already passed up the girls all right let's, yes well, let's, i figured i i figure with with sectionals going on and, and a lot of the teams already out just being with matchups that we we look at we just focus on the boys top five to be fair teams that are still playing uh, all across the area and boys so we'll go boys but then i do have the sectional breakdowns for the girls of the teams that are left. Ah, uh, I think we caught Dude at the golf course today. I think now we know <laughs> why he had a golf shirt on. All right, uh, Dude, let's go ahead. Start at number five on the boys' top five. Yeah, number five on the top five boys this week, we will find the Woodland Warriors. <laughs> you know, this team, uh, third place in the ACAC, is just sitting at nine and six, but three straight wins. They did eventually their ACAC tourney loss to Heritage, a win over Northrop, Lakewood Park Christian as well. 100 career wins for Coach John Baker, 74 of those at Woodland. Congratulations to him. Of course, they face uh, Wood, or South Adams tonight and then South uh, Side out of Fort Wayne on Saturday. 
and four games over eight days. So they got a busy schedule the last week or so, but they're they're lining them up and knocking them down and, and getting some big wins. And so they come in this week with Woodland uh, at number five, Braden Smith leading the way for the Warriors. Yeah, that, a different Braden Smith, not that Braden. Not Smith. not not that Braden Smith. Although no, I should know the per- very well, the Purdue fan would find a way to slip Braden Smith into our <laughs> high school basketball discussion. All right, so let's move up and let's see who else is lining them up and knocking them down at number four. Number four, the Lakeland Lakers. Oh, you just made you just made our biggest fan, Ryan Eaton, so excited oh, yeah. to give credit to Lakeland. Up there. I, he listens every day, I know. He Absolutely. always converses with us. Four straight wins for this Lakers team. They are tied for first place now in the NECC with a little help. Uh, from uh, West Noble beating Fairfield last Friday night. Nate Kyle, huge, coming in, playing 19 points a game, 5.8 rebounds, 50% from the field. Uh, they have six of their last eight games on the road, so it's going to be a big test for them down the stretch. Can they pull out an NECC championship amongst those other teams? But a good Lakeland team playing really good basketball right now, number four in the poll. And let's move up to number three. Number three, the Snyder Panthers. You know, this team, 11-7, and seven, that doesn't sound all that impressive, but considering where they were a year ago with three wins, they, they have a new coach, a lot of different faces there. Four straight wins, six of the last seven. Of course, anytime you can get some big wins in the conference, Concordia, Carroll, Dwanger, all by a combined 15 points in those three wins in the last week or so. Uh, and they're on the road for the entire month of February. Again, going to test them. Uh, but uh, Snyder playing really good, some challenging games of uh, thing. But uh, I think that's going to be good long-term for that Panther program. And at number two. Number two, the Columbia City Eagles. <laughs> you know, they maintain their grasp of a first-place uh, lead in the any uh, eight. They're tied there with uh, some other teams, but Belmont being one of them. But they have that win over Belmont. They beat New Haven by one to maintain that lead. Uh, DeKalb as well uh, in a 30, game in the 30s on Saturday. Of course, Homestead, the big win there on January 16th. So different guys all along the way for this Eagles team. They've won five straight. They started 5-5, five and five, now 12-6, and six, playing really good basketball. Two any eight games left, um, and so it should be interesting to see how that conference pans out. But Columbia City flying high right now, doing really well down the stretch and this week the top performer boys basketball and our number one spot in this week's boys power poll number one once again the wayne general you know really impressive they you know they get the big win over lures on friday night to seize control of the sac they followed up with a big win over blackhawk christian on saturday and then beat canterbury which is playing really good right now uh yesterday uh, so, you know, six straight wins. Javon Lewis Jr. continues to impress, not just from points, but assists. So he's really dishing the ball. Wayne scoring a lot of points, just under 70. They rolled 82 on Blackhawk. And uh, now they have Homestead next Wednesday. Could be the SAC championship, at the very least, SAC implications on the line, and then Southside and Concordia to close out the regular season after that. But Wayne continues to be impressive, 15-3. and three. Uh, a team to be reckoned with. 
not just now, but as the postseason nears as well. Take nothing away from Wayne, but I did find out that uh, Blackhawk will have, uh, I believe it's Muldoon, their point guard coming back, uh, that he missed that game and that he will okay. be coming back before the tournament begins. So that will be a big boost to Blackhawk. Apparently they've really missed him because uh, Helen Pickett, Pickett is the one that's having to kind of run the show. And it's it's tough to have a six eight guy who's got to be able to handle the ball, distribute, and try to find places to score. So I think Blackhawk will take a big jump once we see uh, them get healthy. All right, dude, we got to talk girls basketball. You know that because it's sectional week, and we teased it at the beginning of the segment, but now we've got to talk and dive in. You know how many times I, you know, we just talked to Tim Tassler, baseball historian, I, it's in some ways, just because I've been around for a long time, I feel a little bit like a high school basketball historian. I tell you, I can't give you names, but I can tell you there have been so many instances where teams have made deep runs in the tournament when they almost got beat in their very first game. And yeah. that happened to Snyder. They got a scare. Northrop had him on the ropes all the way into like the last three minutes. And Snyder pulled it out. What would you think of uh, first round action? That had to be the game that really caught your eye. Well, yeah, it, first of all, it catches your eye because it was the way that the draw fell, two SAC teams playing each other, probably the most, the best match of the night, the most evenly matched you know, in that regard. You know, Snyder beat uh, Northrop, I think it was 70-37 to 37, uh, in the regular season, and, and we know Northrop. They're not going to let that happen again, uh, the way Katie, Katie Jackson coaches and things like that. So Northrop really came out big, played hard. Uh, Lexi Castator finishes her high school career with 34 points. I think for Northrop, a lot of it was some of the injuries kind of caught up with them uh, in that second half of the season and and, and the draw with Snyder. But they were going to give it their best shot. And then, you know, just Nene Donahue down the stretch, not just hitting some big buckets, but getting some steals, finding some open teammates to make their big shots. And it was a complete team effort that fourth quarter to get back and, and get the lead for Snyder and then ultimately pulling away late. Um, a great game out at Carroll, really a great two games out at Carroll. That East Noble and, and Carroll game before that came down to the last shot, uh, you know, back and forth game, a two-point game, and ultimately teams trading baskets there. So really fun to see that in the first round. Um, and really that's the part of the sectionals, too, that, you know, we talk about the draw and seating and all that. Ultimately, getting out there and playing the games and kind of seeing how things happen, I think that's what we saw. And I think, for the most part, the teams that were supposed to win won, but also, too, at the same time, you saw a lot of great action and, and some kids that may be coming down the line in the years to come that you'll see and go, okay, remember that name, you know, remember this kid, or that was awesome, or I hadn't heard that person's name so much this season. So, you know, that's what's cool about sectional time is you're, you're playing to keep your season alive, and that's the goal for everybody. If we look at uh, Columbia City, of course, Columbia City and Homestead, also two teams that are hoping for deep runs, although they've got to get past the other to make that happen. Uh, but both of them took care of business in a pretty easy way. does seem like those two teams are on a collision course for our broadcast Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these two teams... You know, two top ten teams in Class 4A in the same sectional, and really the the other teams in that sectional uh, not you know nearly up to speed and up to par as those other two teams. I mean, Huntington North is a decent team; they're always kind of in there trying to stick their nose in that any eight rate. Not as good a year for them, sitting at five hundred at eleven and eleven. Uh, New Haven, uh, you know, they get the buy. 
Unfortunately, they get matched up against Homestead for them. So I think we are looking at that Columbia City-Homestead matchup. And really, last year, that was the first-round matchup. It came down to one-point win uh, for Homestead. They've eliminated Columbia City each of the last four years. Uh, and Columbia City, if you look at Amy Shearer, 196 wins as their coach over those, what, 21 seasons. 0-10 all-time versus Homestead. So I think for Columbia City, they know what the goal is. The goal has probably been the same goal for the last several years, getting by Homestead in the sectional. For Homestead, it's the same thing, getting by Columbia City and seeing how far you can get after that. So really two good teams. They've been good for a long time, the last couple years, and the tradition that those teams and programs have. They probably will likely meet up again on Saturday night in the game of the week. And it should be a good one out there at Columbia City as the host. As there's a sectional, but I think it could go either way. I actually like the fact that maybe this time Columbia City can can finally get past Homestead because they looked really impressive at that Hall of Fame Classic uh, with some top five teams there. They've been number two in Class 4A most of the year. Consistent basketball. They did get tripped up against a very good Norwell team. Other than that, Columbia City has looked pretty dominant on top of that all year long as well. And Homestead has really been good, too. But the thing about Homestead is they can win those close games. You know, the, home, the Northrop game the other day, um, they, they won, and they, can, they hang close with Snyder as well. But I think Columbia City might pull this one out finally. When you are a self-proclaimed basketball historian, as I am, uh, you can actually proclaim that Concordia and Angola girls basketball have played each other in the postseason every year since 1948. And the, uh, wow. the, the games, not actually, I have no idea. Oh, but, okay. Uh, no, I'm just throwing something out there. Uh, but the re- <laughs> Wait a minute. They didn't even start till 1976. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it was going pretty well until you ruined it, dude. But uh, but these two always seem to play close games. Concordia's 9-13. and 13. It's been kind of a tough year through the SAC grind. Angola kind of started iffy, but they've played really well of late. Is this going to be a competitive game? Does Concordia have a chance to knock off the Hornets? Yeah, I mean, I think this sectional in general, the 3A Garrett sectional, is whether it's boys, whether it's girls, whether it's the football one, and I know they move it at different host sites, but that group of teams where it's like Concordia and Angola and Woodland and Garrett, and you throw some of the other ones in there, I think, uh, looking at it back then, like, I, I think any of these teams have a shot, based, but real, because of the competition is pretty even. But I think, too, like, these are great. I mean, Concordia and Angola, like you mentioned, they've played each other a lot. I mean, there was a time where Concordia wins four straight sectionals from 15 to 18. The two that they don't get in 19 and 21 are Angola. So, really, those two teams have kind of owned this this sectional or something close to it for the last several years. And so, you know, I think this is a fun matchup off the top. Uh, Angola in their first year with Dave Panning has some ties to Concordia through his family um, and really just playing well. Concordia goes through that SAC grind, uh, which probably helps them when they get to this point. But then I also like the other matchups on the other side, the Garrett and the Woodland one. Garrett mm-hmm. comes in, you know, not as loaded as the years past. Um, back-to-back sectional champs. They went to regionals and then semi-state the year before that. Woodland, they've not won a sectional since 90. This team is playing really good basketball. 
uh, under Dave Randall in his first year, who used to be the Woodland boys coach and won a sectional about 10 years ago. So I think I like Woodland to come out of this sectional mm-hmm. just by virtue of kind of who's all playing. I think it's an Angola-Woodland final with Woodland getting past Angola. Angola beat Woodland in the regular season. Uh, I think it's just that's one that you kind of just watch and see what happens, and, and, and that's a fun sectional because there's not really a favorite, I don't feel, coming out of that one. Okay, dude, we got to find out the latest and greatest at Parkview Sports Medicine. Yeah, we just uh, remind people of our PSM Edge program uh, as the winter seasons wrap up, not just for basketball, but so many other sports, an opportunity to kind of keep that edge uh, heading into the off season or maybe in between seasons before you start in your spring sport. Uh, you know, we offer uh, individualized athletic sports performance training here uh, at PSM, both here at the Sport One Parkview Fieldhouse and up at Empowered Sports Club. Monday through Friday, different hours, different times for your convenient schedule. And that way you, and it focuses on what your, what your abilities are, but also what sport you're in and what time of year you're in. So, uh, you know, really good where we can keep that based off of what you're looking to do for your own individual uh, maintaining and, and maximizing your athleticism. Just log on to parkviewsportsmedicine.com slash edge for more info. There's also a little evaluation form there. If you want to sign up for a free evaluation, they can talk to you then and see what we can do for you. But a great program and uh, just really uh, helping a lot of athletes throughout the area keep up with the different sports that they do throughout the year. And uh, that's a reminder, tomorrow night we will have our post-game show presented by Parkview Sports Medicine. That'll be live at the Pine Valley Pizza Hut, 9.15 to 10.30. We'll give you our first rundown of girls' sectional semifinals, uh, the final scores of the semifinals, and set up the championship games. And then Dute and I will team up to bring you Homestead, Columbia City, we presume, but it will be the championship at Columbia City regardless. So join us for that coverage coming up on Saturday night. And sometime between now and then, I'll actually check what time that game starts. I really, I don't know when it starts. Anybody got a, anybody <laughs> want to tell me when that game starts? We've got it, uh, what do we have it listed for? We've got it listed as a 7.30 tip. Does that sound good to you, Duke? Uh, that that sounds about right for the championship game. Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay, we'll go with that then. Dude, always a pleasure. Have a great night. Yep, that we'll is see you later. Eric, Take care. Dude, Dude Kevich from Parkview Sports Medicine joining us here on the Sports Rush. Quick timeout. We'll come back, wrap it up. I got to get out of here. Got some Don's basketball to go take care of tonight. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. We're back final time here on the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. See, sometimes I just was going, like like the whole Concordia-Angola matchup, going back to 1948. Yeah, it, it was totally made up. And I, I would have let you know it was totally made up. It's like saying tonight, the Mastodon's game against Milwaukee. Come out, get your ticket because it's guaranteed 165 or more for total points. And if they don't get it, you get your money back. And that, see, that's not true either. That's not true at all. They might score 165, but you're not going to get a free ticket. In fact, it's worth every single penny when you get two teams that are as offensively gifted as these two teams are. It's going to be a battle at the Coliseum tonight. Join us if you don't make it. Because our coverage is free, and that's one of the most honest things I've said on today's show. It is free coverage on the radio, starting with the pregame show at 645 and the tip at 7. 
Got to thank our guests that appeared on the show today. Sam King, great as always, from the Lafayette Journal and Courier. Also, uh, thanks to Tim Tassler, baseball historian. Don't forget to check him out at the History Center coming up this Sunday. And Eric Dutkevich, Parkview Sports Medicine. I'm on the chopper, heading to the Coliseum. I'll be talking to you about 45 minutes down the road. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.